This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You know, you got to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody. We got a game week. How about that? It's the Ducks and Stanford 430 primetime game on ABC. And uh, we're all going to have a nice conversation about that this week on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs via Zoom chat with Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. And we're taping this on a Monday. Reason why is twofold. We want to get you a good start to the week and get you thinking about this Duck-Stanford game so you got time to chew on it. But we also had some big news coming out of Eugene today. The organizational chart came out. And let's start there, my friend. Now that we know what Coach Cristobal and company know, did anything on that chart surprise you? No, I mean, I think, you know, the one thing that just immediately jumps out to me is how many ors there are listed on the organizational chart. And and when I say or, you know, I'm talking about ones that, you know, are talking about starters. You know, it's pretty common for, you know, us to see, you know, the second and third tier guys, you know, listed as an or. And, you know, I think that's, you know, Mario Cristobal's way of dangling the carrot. And I get it. You know what I mean? You're, you're doing that so that the guy that might be, you know, number three gets the sense that maybe he's right there with the number two guy or, you know, number two guys right behind number one. So I understand that part of things, um, you know, based on what we reported, at least on scoop duck throughout the last two, three, four weeks, I, I I'm on, honestly, I don't see a surprise. I, I just don't see a single one. Um, you know, I, I think we talked pretty extensively that, you know, George Moore and Steven Jones would be the tackles, you know, likely Steven Jones on the left, TJ Bass, Forsyth, uh, Sala Amave. You know, we talked about that being the five. And and I think, you know, that was pretty obvious and, and that came together just right. Um, I was maybe mildly surprised to see Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown listed as oars in the first. I do think it'll be hundred percent Tyler Shuck's team. And, and I say that pretty confidently, you know, I get the sense that perhaps Mario Cristobal leaves that or in there because really you would hate to see Anthony Brown get kind of cold feet and, and decide to, to leave or transfer, uh, you know, uh, last two weeks or this week, you know, you want to keep him around. And I'm not saying that's exactly why he's doing it. I'm sure Anthony Brown's doing a really good job, but it feels like it's Tyler Shuck's team. Um, the only one that might have surprised some people that maybe don't read Scoop Duck and listen to this, if, if there's some of those, is the fact that Drew Mathis and Noah Sewell were listed as or starters at middle linebacker. Although on the site, I've talked pretty extensively about Noah Sewell and how smart of a football player and how he's really impressed all the coaches. So I don't believe that's all that, um, you know, surprising to to the readers. But um Defensive backs, we knew Lenore and, and Mikel Wright were going to be there. That was no question. You knew Verone McKinley was going to be there somewhere. 
felt pretty good that Jamal Hill would be there. He comes in at the nickel and Nick Pickett basically becomes that fifth guy, which I, I again, I don't think is all that surprising. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Not much that surprised me. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that really caught your eye, but I think I kind of touched on all of them for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. The angle that, that popped out to me and you mentioned this were the, uh, the breakdown on the tackle position. I, I, um, in my head, I, I'd been reading other sites and, and reading others talking about Jonah Talanu'u, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind of, of maybe I would see Jonah somewhere. I don't on this chart, but I understand why. And then um, the uh, the other part of note that, that I, I just was a little intrigued by, and you mentioned this Thursday and that juice that you just mentioned in the last answer, Noah Sewell right now, is an or at middle linebacker, and that's a true freshman. And I think if you asked a lot of fans after the Ducks put the touches on that class and you said, okay, who's going to be the first freshman to start at linebacker, I think most people would have said Justin Flo, even though Sewell was a five-star in his own right. So that was a little surprising. But I agree with you. There's a lot of reasons that the staff love Noah Sewell. And it reminds me kind of 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 how Mario Cristobal talked about Mace Funa last year. Just a really smart, tough, hardworking player that drew the respect of the coaching staff really early on. Well, and that was, you know, something that we talked about, you know, in the middle of last year is the fact that yes, Panay Sewell is a, a, a tremendously talented offensive tackle, but what really made him and kind of separated him into that elite status, that, that generational status was his football IQ and how smart he is on and off the field and the thing he sees. And the reason I mention that is because, you know, I've heard the same thing about Noah Sewell as a linebacker, just that he has a really good grasp on the defense. He's a natural born leader. You know, he's last, he's one, you know, first guy on the field, last guy off the field type of a type of a player. And not that Justin Flo isn't. I think a lot of folks got enamored with that picture of Justin Flo, who looks like a monster. Don't get me wrong. That's a physical freak. But, mm-hmm. you know, that picture starts circulating. All of a sudden, everybody's anointing Justin Flo as, as the starter, which, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, just having a player like that on your team is is tremendous. But I, I mean, I just it really it's all come together for Noah. He's physical. He's big. He's going to be playing probably around 255 pounds. He's going to be able to, you know, take on offensive linemen. He's going to be able to shed blockers. And 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 if he's as smart, you know, if he's as smart as his older brother Panay was, then it, that makes him a really good all around football player. So, you know, didn't surprise me a great deal, but I, I am sure it caught plenty of other people uh off offhand a little bit and then uh yeah outside of that i just didn't i mean it seemed like i i think one of the things that we're gonna lose uh lose sight on about this is that it feels like overall for the most part mario Cristobal has been pretty transparent about this fall camp about who's playing well about who's impressing them and who's you know moving up the charts and, and things like that i mean we heard a lot about Jamal Hill. You know, we heard a lot about Alex Forsyth. Um, you know, some of those guys that, that made that one deep there. And so, uh, you know, I just think that that's something that's refreshing given that we came from the chip days and you couldn't even get an injury if somebody got a scratch or a bandaid put on them, uh, under the chip Kelly days. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it speaks to, 
a little bit of the philosophy that we've seen instilled at Oregon the last couple of years under Coach Cristobal um, with, with some of these names too. Something else that I think is refreshing is all the young guys that are on this chart. Yeah, yeah you've got an incredibly young roster. Um, and, and the, you know, the crazy part is you go and look at some of the names that everybody's already kind of enamored with, or, or at least talking about, and a couple that just popped to me, you think, okay, you talk about Oregon, you're talking about their best players. It's Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a sophomore, right? It's Mace, you know, uh, you know, who's entering his second year. It's, uh, you know, it's Mikhail Wright, a guy that we've talked about once again, entering his second year, you've got Micah Pittman. Uh, you've just got so many names. You know, TJ Bass is a, is a Juco guy, but this is his first year at Oregon. Uh, it's pretty incredible just to see that that starting lineup, you know, Tyler Shuck's going to be a redshirt sophomore. It's just, uh, or excuse me, redshirt freshman. I got that wrong. And it's just pretty crazy to see that roster littered uh, in the one and two deep with so many young football players. Yeah. Um, closing in on Stanford, again, 430 on ABC. It's going to be a massive game. Who are you most excited to see when, when you look at this chart and you see some of those new faces? Who are you most excited to see suit up on Saturday? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it has to be Tyler Shuck. That has to be the person. And, and again, I'm making an assumption that he's the starter. I know he was listed as an or, but I feel pretty strongly he's going to start. And, and I think that, you know, it's Tyler Shuck and the fact that you're moving on from the Justin Herbert era. I think the limited glimpses that we've seen of Tyler Shuck have been great. I don't think people are too nervous, but you're still nervous. You know, you've got a new offensive coordinator. You know that Tyler Shuck's working with an entirely new offensive line unit. And you just, you you know, again, I I think we've talked about this. I wrote about this. To me, Oregon really only needs to be able to score 25 points in most games. And I got a feeling the defense will take care of the rest. Now, it doesn't mean Oregon will only score 25 I'm just saying if they can get to that pretty low, pretty average, pretty attainable number, they're probably going to win more games than they, than they lose. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it just it, it has to be Tyler Shuck, um, at least from an offensive standpoint. I know everybody, if you're talking about a group, we're all very interested to see this offensive line group. You know, we've heard that they are a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, that the upside is probably better than the guys that left, but upside doesn't equate to experience. You know, we know that uh, I was a really talented group that left a lot of guys that that had played a lot of snaps and guys that didn't many miss many football games. And, and after that, I think if if for me, if I'm talking about Tyler Shuck, uh, I know what I'm getting in CJ Ferdell. I know what I'm getting in Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman. I know what I'm getting there. And I will say it, and I know it's going to be painful for a minute, but just just bite on something hard. Okay, Alamo Bowl, all right? We saw what Oregon wasn't able to do when they couldn't snap the ball. When you can't snap the football, you can't run your offense. So for me, I'm assuming Alex Forsyth, I know he was listed as an or there as starting center. I think he's going to be the starting center. It's got to be him. He's going to have to be consistent. He's got to get the ball back there because we know – even with Joe Moorhead here, they're not taking snaps from under center. So it's got to be Alex Forsyth. And he gets a really tough test. I mean, Stanford's always good on the defensive line. They're always very strong. They come after the quarterback. You know, they do a lot of, of good things defensively. So Alex Forsyth, in his first start at center, is going to have his hands absolutely full. 
And so for me, I guess really it boils down to the two players at the center of the offense um, that I'm watching this week. Oh, yeah. I love that answer. Uh, I said on the, my radio show on Friday, for me, the question for Tyler Shuck wasn't around anything that I had read or anything that I had heard because you've you've written extensively the coaching staff believes in him and I've heard from a lot of people who say the same thing of of the guy making plays in practice is uh, a lot different than the guy fans might have seen in very limited reps on game day the last year Um, but my question for Shuck was just we, we haven't seen him play a lot in games. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see him break that and answer that question. And then with regards to Alex Forsyth, five games last year, but only 47 snaps. Um, I'm really interested to see how he steps in. Because like you said, that's the most important position on the line. You are, are basically... Um, handling, you know, any any uh, blitz pickups, and you're scanning the defensive line, making sure that your five have the right protection set up. And I think this is a big opportunity for him. Uh, Pride of West Lynn, he's a junior now, and he's going to see a lot more snaps this year than he did last year. So, um, yeah. Yeah, those are the two that I have really circled on offense. And then just a bunch of guys on defense that maybe I have a little more confidence in. I don't have a lot of questions about, but just guys that I I think are going to be a lot of fun this year. You mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he could be the number one overall pick in the draft someday. Uh, You mentioned Mace Funa earlier. I go back to all those conversations we've had on this podcast with Mario Cristobal. He loves him. And, and that guy could have a booming year. And then in the secondary, you lose Javon Holland, who I loved as a ball-hawking safety, but you keep Mikhail Wright, you keep Nick Pickett as a box safety, you keep Yamador Lenore. There is a lot of talent and a lot of entertainment in this duck secondary right now. Yeah, and albeit outside of, say, Verone McKinley, uh, and Diamador Lenore. It's relatively unproven in the secondary. I know Nick Pickett's been in and out, but hasn't been a key consistent starter, but he does have some some snaps under his belt. But, you know, it, it's definitely Jamal Hill and how he fills that, that nickel spot. Um, for me, you know, one of the things that I'm anxious to see on defense is Mikel Wright. I, I mean, I just, I think that he's become a, I don't know if you want to, just a, a legend within the, the, right. the, the program, and well, I think on a previous pod, I think you you called him the best defender on the team this year. I do. I think he is. I think he will be. I think he's you know possibly Oregon's most talented player. You know, period on the on the team, and it's just I'm excited to see him in full time action. Um, you know, anchoring a spot he's had all spring, all summer, this little fall camp, he's had all that time to just continue to develop at that spot. Um, I, it just, you know, I, I'm really glad that Lenore's came back and I've heard a lot of good reports about how he's improved as a player. And I think that's tremendous, but I mean, right now you got to pick your poison and I don't see an easy out there for any quarterback, uh, you know, going after those two corners. No doubt. 
Uh, got a really tight pod this week. We're going to get you five games. We're also going to lock it in, get our lock of the week, a Ducks prediction. We'll bring that segment back for the first time since last football season. Uh, we're working tight this week because of a Mario Cristobal press conference later this afternoon. You want to dive into five games? Uh, yeah, yeah. We can we can jump into five games and and uh, and keep it going from there. All right. All right, five games. We do this every week, sharing five college football games and five games that, in this case, aren't Oregon-Stanford at 4.30 on ABC that we think you might want to watch. Justin, you go first. Okay, well, I'm excited for this weekend. Obviously, it is the Pac-12 returning to play. Um, There's just a lot going on. There's a lot of key games. Um, so I'll go. It was pretty easy for me. I, I've got BYU versus Boise State, which is a Friday night game. I think that's an awesome game, awesome matchup. It's a Friday night game, which I tend to enjoy over a cold beverage. So I'm really excited to see that one. Um, you know, as much as I've been tooting the horn of BYU for weeks now, and they are 7-0, and and they do play some really good football, I still think they're going to struggle to get in over a – undefeated Oregon or USC, whoever comes out of the Pac-12. Um, so they get a test here. Boise State's always tough. We'll play them tough. Uh, it's a Friday night game. That was an easy pick for me. Second game, Michigan versus Indiana. Um, I just think that one sells itself. You know, I again, Michigan came out hot first week and kind of caught my eyes. And I said, let's see how they fare in week two. And then, you know, and, and they proved me right, you know, at least in that particular instance. Um, Indiana, I still don't know if we have a, a, of a real team there or a pretender or a contender or what we have. It's impressive. I've enjoyed it, but, uh, that's a nine o'clock game on FS one. So, you know, both those games really have my attention. I'll do one more here. Uh, ASU versus USC, very obvious one there. That's not, uh, you know, I'm sure most Oregon fans, most PAC 12 fans have their eyes on there. Mm-hmm. Will ASU be any good? I'm not sold that they're that good. Um, did Clay Helton upgrade in terms of defensive coordinator and some other positions? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of questions about USC. The biggest question is the fact that they're going to play a nine o'clock game on Fox. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, those teams are up early, getting to the stadium early, having to get through walkthrough or walkthroughs early. You got a nine o'clock kickoff. That's a really early game. I do see that USC is favored by 10 and a half points. So it sounds like at least the betters don't believe in ASU as well. Uh, there's three. I'm sure you got a couple, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And we share a couple of those. Uh, I have ASU, USC, 9 a.m. on Fox. For me, the logic boils down to two main points. I think those are the two contenders in the South that that the media have generally circled. I know I have. I like Arizona State to win the South Division this year, so I want to see how they look. I want to see Jaden Daniels year two, Herm Edwards year three as the coach of that program, and I want to see 9 a.m. kickoff in the Pac-12. I've talked about it on the radio show before that I know Duck fans that will drive from Medford to Eugene and and make that a Saturday tradition or drive, you know, long distances, Klamath Falls to Eugene or uh, from the coast to Eugene, from Portland to Eugene, and 
they don't want the 9 a.m. kickoffs, and I don't blame them. Oh, heck no. But, yeah. but if you don't have fans in the stands, which means you don't have to get up six hours early so that you can get to the parking lot and do the tailgate three hours early, I have no problem with a 9 a.m. kickoff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that game, get my Saturday started off with a bang, and then uh, Cincy-Houston, 12.30 on ESPN. We've been talking about Cincinnati for a couple of weeks now. They just keep winning, and they're in the top ten. They are a group of five school with a legitimate shot at spoiling the playoff party for a power five. I want to see if they can keep it up. Um, Florida, Georgia, 1230 on CBS. That's my third out of five. Uh, it speaks to the uh, the carnage in the SEC that you've talked about the past couple of weeks. Good teams are playing good teams, and they're going to beat each other, and they're going to lose. And that chaos is great for the Pac-12. So all three of those games before 4.30, I'm going to sit down and watch and enjoy. Absolutely. Um, I did have Florida, Georgia. That was an obvious no-brainer. I think Duck fans really, you know, they need to see some carnage in the SEC. And I I think Georgia needs to lose again because, really, they were not penalized for losing to Alabama. Um, Still remain in the top five in most polls. So Mm -hmm. uh, you need Georgia to lose there and probably in the SEC uh, Conference Championship game. Last game for me is Clemson-Notre Dame. Uh, If I Honestly, two weeks ago, I probably wouldn't have mentioned this game because I think Clemson would have kicked the crap out of Notre Dame. But Trevor Lawrence and the fact that we saw that that really, you know, it really hindered uh, Clemson and give uh, DJU some credit for looking good, but also still looking very much like a freshman at times there. Clemson was definitely not the same offensively against Boston College. So that's a 430 NBC game. I know that you won't be deviating much from the Oregon Stanford game at 430. And I, I don't blame you, but in the commercials and stuff, you might flip that one over. And just give it a gander. That one's going to end up being closer than it should. Yeah, that, that's how I would view that. Of when ABC goes to commercial break, or you know, when when that game goes to halftime, flip over to NBC, Clemson, Notre Dame, just because there's no Trevor Lawrence. He is so immensely talented, and and I know that DJU, who Oregon loved, we've talked about that before. DJU did a great job stepping in as Clemson's backup last week. But that gap from Lawrence to DJ, I think, is massive, even though they're both talented. And I think that gives the Irish a shot. So I'm excited for that one, uh, 4.30 on NBC. And then the last game for me, and it, it, it comes down to some of the same points that I mentioned with Arizona State, USC. I want to see Cal Washington close out the night 7.30 on ESPN. Um, for, for me, I know why the media voted Oregon almost overwhelmingly to win the Pac-12, and I know you believe the Ducks will win the Pac-12. I know that QB11 believes the Ducks will win the Pac-12. A, a lot of smart people that I lean on expect Oregon to get that done. I still really like Cal this year, and I want to see how right I am about that. I want to see, you know, do they do they look as good as I'm assuming they'll look? So I want to see that, 7.30 on ESPN, and then just see how the Huskies shake up because that's going to have implications for the Pac-12 North. So that's kind of the logic I have 
I think it's great with the Pac-12 coming back. It's it's probably the hardest five games that we've done so far. Oh, easily the hardest. Yeah, no question. Uh, Cal Washington, definitely a game that you're watching. Um, you know, if you're an Oregon fan, you know, for me, I've said this before, you know, Oregon plays Cal uh, second to last game. They play Washington the last game. Obviously, with those two playing each other, they're not going to both be undefeated, but I think you need those two teams to be as good as possible, potentially one loss and no loss teams if it works out for them. You need those teams to be as good as possible and possibly ranked inside the top 25. I think Oregon's going to need a bit of help down the stretch to get in the top four consideration. And I think if, you know, for instance, I think Cal will beat Washington. And if Cal's undefeated and Washington's only got the one loss in the first week to Cal, you know, they're both inside the top 25. You go on and face USC as long as Clay Helton doesn't manage to screw it up. You know, you got three potential top 25 wins to close out the season. I think that that's going to be kind of the icing on the cake or just enough to get Oregon through. Of course, they still got to win the football games. I get all that. Might even need some style points, but that could be a real big scenario for Oregon. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be a heck of a football game. And just like you said, I'm really interested to see where both those teams are at, not just yeah. Cal, not just Washington. You you know, you're going to get a good barometer week one where those two teams are at from the get-go, just like we're going to see from USC and, and ASU in that game. Like, we're going to really have a good handle, I think, on the Pac-12 after after one week. Yeah. All right. Um, lock of the week? Yeah, lock of the week. Back to Ducks. Back to Ducks football. <laughs> lock of the week. If you're new, you might not have listened maybe seven, eight months ago. Here's what we do. Every week on an Oregon game week, we make one prediction apiece. Normally, I make a pretty dumb one. Jay Hop makes a pretty wise one. I think about all those weeks you nailed the Javon Holland locks last year. But oh, yeah. you, you catch my drift. We're going to make a prediction about Oregon-Stanford. Something a little more fun than who wins. Uh, what's your lock of the week this week, my friend? So, you know, I just I went back and forth deciding if I want to make a, a team prediction, you know, hey, Oregon will outrush them or whatever. Or if I wanted a player like standout prediction, like I've done with Javon Holland and others in the past, I went I went individual. And for me, I believe I believe that Oregon's going to lean incredibly heavily on C.J. Ferdell this week. Mm. You know, he's going to be healthy. He's going to be strong out of the gates. I get a feeling this is the last year we see C.J. Verdell at Oregon, so I think he's going to have a little something extra to play for. So I really tested myself. I originally thought, you know what, lock of the week is going to be C.J. Verdell over 200 all-purpose yards for the for the game. I went 250. I went big. I think C.J. Verdell is going to put up over 250 total yards of offense in this football game alone. I think they're going to lean heavily on him in the run game. Wouldn't surprise me if he approaches the 200-yard mark, maybe gets a couple big runs in there. I think they'll use him as the bell cow. I know there's a ton of talent in the running back room, but we also know that Mario Cristobal and Jim Mastro love to play the hot hand. I think C.J. Verdell gets rolling early. The reason I went 250, I think he's going to be key in the pass game this, this, this week and probably this year, I think, opening up. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Joe Moorhead goes mildly conservative, conservative, tries to get Tyler Shuck into a rhythm, maybe some quick screens, you know, maybe a wheel route. Some of those more simple, easy reads for him to do 
and kind of get him rolling a little bit in the first half. I think CJ Verdell will be the beneficiary beneficiary of that. And I think he has a really big game, picks up a lot of yards in the on the ground, but picks up some yards in the air. I say CJ Verdell lock of the week plus 250 in the yards. Ah, spot on. I was I literally was going to say that. And and it's because for me, if I'm Joe Moorhead installing a game plan this week, I have to factor in, no matter how good my quarterback looks in practice, he doesn't have a lot of game reps. And I think this is a week where you ease Tyler Shuck in, you you get him that exposure of having to lead the ones in practice and game plan and get ready for a game week and then have that opening drive scripted out and go through those motions and then come back at halftime, do the adjustments, go through those motions and just get a full game under your belt again. He, I don't think he's had that since high school. So this is a, um, a week where I think they warm up the passing attack and you'll see more of an aerial display in the weeks ahead. But this week, you trust in C.J. Verdell, you trust in the Hogs up front to open up running lanes, and I really like that pick. Um, so we, we both think C.J. Verdell is going to have a big day. I'll say my lock of the week, I think that Mace Funa outperforms Kayvon Thibodeau in sacks. I, I think that you'll see sack production um, – not not saying that Kayvon Thibodeau won't get on the stat sheet, but I think he's going to be outdueled by some of his teammates in the front seven just because as talented as he is, I think this is a year where teams now have to focus on him and you're going to see him force protection his way, double teams and chip blocks and... You know, maybe they run bootlegs to the other side or they run screens to the other side, and that's going to open up opportunities for everybody else. So I, I think Mace Funa will have a really big day, a sack, maybe a turnover, you know, maybe some, some big stuff. And I think that all the other guys on the line, Jordan Scott, Austin Fallu, this is going to be a gift for them, having Thibodeau on the other side drawing all that attention. Yeah, I really, I really like what you're saying there, and totally agree with you. And it's not a knock on Kayvon Thibodeau, like he's, like he's regressed or anything of that nature, because that's clearly not the case. But like you said, at some point, people are going to say, "Hey, maybe we need to get the quarterback moving away from that guy because he's really good and really fast." Well, the unfortunate part for that quarterback is there's a lot of talent on the other side of the field as well. You know, Mace Mace Buna will benefit, um, and it's just like. You know, it's just like Austin Foliao and and Kayvon Thibodeau that to that degree, you know, they are helped when Jordan Scott is in there demanding double teams and eating up blockers and filling gaps. So once again, you you get that combination of Jordan Scott, you get Kayvon Thibodeau's president presence on the edge, and that kind of pressure. You know, guys like Mace Funa are going to be able to make plays. Austin Foliao is going to be able to make plays. Brandon Dorless is going to have an opportunity to make plays. So. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Kayvon Thibodeau definitely, you know, has an impact on this game and is a force to be reckoned with, but it's going to be uh, some of his teammates that benefit from the type of football player that he is and the type of protection he warrants. Uh, a couple other questions. I know you're getting ready for that Mario Cristobal pod, so we'll just fire these off quick. Uh, let's have some fun. Do we see Noah Sewell play goal line? 
Uh, that's a great question. I think Duck fans, you know, I just don't think so. I, I think they're really, you know, when you're a true freshman like he is, I, I think you really want him to specialize on his position and not have too much going on at one time. And I, I think that's, you know, circling back to Alex Forsyth, you think about, okay, this guy's got a block, he's got to hike the ball, he's got to look at protections, slide protections, do all these things within a two, you know, two second thing. Oregon's got so many great backs and they have big backs. I just don't think there is a need to put Noah Sewell back there. You certainly could, Mm -hmm. but I mean, Habibi Licchio has been plenty efficient as a short yardage guy. I just don't see a need to do it. Do you think we see any trick plays on Saturday? I think we'll, yeah, I think we'll definitely see some, some trickeration. Um, You know, I I believe it could come at a time where Oregon's in maybe a, a third and long you know, kind of in the middle of the field or just, you know, towards the inside there and, and really wanting to keep a drive alive. Again, I think the first half's going to be a little slow and sluggish for Oregon offensively. I think they will get it going in the second half offensively. We talked about that last week. So I could see I could see one or two sneaking in there, and, and we know Joe Moorhead's a very innovative guy. Uh, who, who leads the team when they play Shout? Oh, yeah, when they – well, I, I don't know. That'll be interesting given the fact that there's no fans in the stands. And there's no uh, Troy Dye. Yeah, there is no Troy Dye, which really – I mean, honestly, I don't care who does it. It'll never be the same when, you know, Troy Dye's not there. But, you know, I want to say it's a guy that's returning, but really none of the linebackers strike me as that guy. Mace Funa doesn't strike me as that guy. Kayvon Thibodeau is a maybe, maybe he breaks out of his shell a little bit. Gosh, I don't know. You know what? Maybe Tyler Shuck's that guy. I mean, if the offense isn't out there, maybe he's, he's the guy. So I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. That's a really good question. And I guess that's something that we'll have to uh, definitely pay attention to uh, this weekend. All right. And one last thing, who wins? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know, you know, anytime I pick Oregon, it's being a homer because we weren't running Oregon site. But, you know, I've been I've been preaching Oregon for a while now. Uh, I just think overall, I love David Shaw as a coach. He's a tremendous coach. He runs a great program. A lot of respect there. He lost too much. He's lost too much. And the reason I say that is just look at LSU. They had even more talent and even better depth. And you can see they're struggling because of how much they lost. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Stanford, sure, you can make a little bit up, you know, with coaching, with great coaching, with great execution. But, man, they lost a lot. So, I, you know, for me, I just I just see way too many losses there. And I'm watching LSU and all the players that they've lost to the draft and opting out and other things. You see what that does to a program. It really puts them at a disadvantage. And I think the key this year that everybody's not harping on quite enough, and we're hearing about it a little bit, but depth. Depth is going to be the key to football games this season. It's going to be dependable depth. You're going to have more injuries this year. You're going to have guys that aren't in as good a shape as they're used to being probably in a normal year. Depth is going to be absolutely paramount, and I think Oregon's got a plethora of depth on both sides of the ball. Strongly agree. Depth in recruiting. The Ducks excel in both, and... I think the Ducks are going to beat Stanford on Saturday, so we both agree there. He's Justin Hopkins, ScoopDuckin.com. ScoopDuck.com, sorry, tongue-tied on a Monday. This is ScoopDuck and Hi-Fi, and we'll be back next week right here. Thanks for listening. Please give us a comment. Give us a rating on the podcast site, and go Ducks. I can do this night like all day long.